Welcome to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. I'm your host, Shannon Felt, teacher trainer, resource provider, and course creator for teachers around the world. In each episode, I'll share concrete strategies to help you sharpen your skills and become the very best teacher you can be. We're talking all things ELT, the most effective classroom practices, communicative methodology, and valuable tips for planning and teaching so you can help your students see real improvement in their language abilities. We'll also hear from language teachers and ELT professionals all over the globe who are making inspiring moves in our industry. So thanks for joining me. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hey teachers, welcome to this week's episode of Expand Your Horizons, the TEFL Horizons podcast. Currently, at the time of recording this episode, we are about halfway through the current session of the Online English Teacher Live Teaching Practicum, uh, which means we're at week four out of eight weeks. And week four is the week that we talk about and the online English teachers teach vocabulary lessons. So this episode is all about teaching vocabulary. And the great thing about this episode is that whether you're currently teaching online or in person, everything in this episode will apply. So it's just general um, about teaching vocabulary, not specific to teaching vocabulary online necessarily. Uh, in particular, this week I'm going to share with you five common mistakes that I often see teachers make when teaching a vocabulary lesson. And of course, we'll touch on how to avoid those mistakes and what you should do instead. All right, so let's jump right in and get started. Mistake number one when it comes to teaching a vocabulary lesson is not presenting the new vocabulary words in a way that is contextualized and student-centered. So what I mean when I say this is that I often see teachers begin vocabulary lessons by saying something like this. Hi, everybody. Today we're going to learn some new vocabulary words. Or today we'll practice some vocabulary about, insert topic here. Uh, the issue with this, if you haven't heard me rant about this before, uh, you know that I'm not a big fan of starting a lesson by saying today we're going to learn about XYZ mainly because I find it kind of dry and kind of boring. So the risk that we take when we start a lesson this way is that we'll have students who don't like the particular lesson type that we're presenting. Like maybe I have some students who are intimidated by new vocabulary, or maybe they had some bad experiences with language learning in the past where vocabulary lessons were really boring and involved memorizing long lists of words. So if we immediately start with that kind of linguistic technical perspective, right, with the lesson type, we risk turning our students off in the first 10 seconds of the lesson. We risk sending this message like, uh-oh, this lesson's going to be hard or this lesson's going to be boring. And that's not the experience that I want my students to have in the very, very first few seconds of my lesson. I want my students to immediately feel engaged, excited, enthusiastic, motivated, and empowered that whatever this lesson is about to bring, it's something that they can and want to do. So instead, 
it's much more preferable to start the lesson with some sort of context. Um, If this is something that you're still working on, definitely check out the blog post I have. I'll link to it in the show notes, uh, all about starting your lesson with a lead-in. So that will give you some good ideas of alternative ways that you can start any lesson, uh, but in this case, a vocabulary lesson. So it'll give you some good examples of how to start with context as opposed to jumping right into the language. So sort of on a similar note, I often see teachers first present, even if they have done a lead-in, I see teachers first present the new vocabulary basically just in a list, right? They'll show students a list of words, or maybe even they'll go one word at a time if it's on the board or on slides in an online lesson, and then proceed to just define each word. Okay, our first word today is word X, and it means blah, 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 right? So this is also a problem because, again, you're not really, even if you set up a context in the lead-in, you're not really carrying that context through to the actual presentation of the new vocabulary. So it still kind of feels like you're just introducing a list of random words. Um, And it's super teacher-fronted as opposed to student-centered. So we know that as much as possible, we want everything we do in our lessons to be as student-centered as it can be. And just presenting the words one by one is automatically going to lead to higher teacher talk and less student involvement and engagement. It's also still kind of boring and kind of intimidating. And Honestly, we learn things, we remember things much more when we're engaged, right? When we're interacting with those new things. So if the students are just being spoon-fed and basically being explained this list of words and definitions, right? Here's our first word, and here's what it means. There's no active learning or processing or really mental activity happening at all. It's really easy for that information to just go in one ear and out the other. The students really don't have to work for it or really process anything at all. So instead, we want to make the presentation of our words student-centered. So we want to start with a contextualized lead-in, and from there, that should lead in, if you will, to some kind of presentation of the vocabulary that requires the students to do something with the words. For example, you could give the students a matching exercise where they match a list of words that somehow fit into the context you've presented in the lead-in to the definitions. So maybe on the slide or on the worksheet, the words are on one side, the definitions are on the other side, and the students have some time to work alone and then check in pairs uh, to match the words with the definitions. So in this case, even if a lot of those words are new, right, it can seem kind of counterintuitive. Because the first thought might be, well, if I haven't taught these words, if these are new words, then how are the students possibly going to be able to match them to the correct definitions, right? But you would be surprised. This calls on the students to use anything they have maybe in their prior knowledge. Um, It causes them to use linguistic or contextual clues and to use some other strategies like process of elimination, you would be surprised by how well the students can actually do on activities like this, even before you've taught the words or given them uh, any sort of help or definitions at all, aside from what you have in the activity itself. The students can also be reassured, right? If they feel a little bit intimidated, they feel like, you know, teacher, how am I going to do this? I don't know any of these words. You can reassure them, that's okay. Don't worry. We'll go over them next in the lesson. Just try, just do the best you can, and then we'll talk about the words afterwards. 
So reassure the students that it's okay if they don't get everything perfect, if they don't know all these words. That's the whole point. They're just going to give it a try. And then they should know that the next step of the lesson will be learning about those new words um, and getting clarification on anything that they didn't know before. Okay, so that's much more student-centered. It causes the students to actually have to work with the vocabulary and really think about the vocabulary. And because they're being so much more mentally active in that stage, there's a higher chance that they're really learning and remembering those words. Especially when you throw in the pair check after the initial time to work alone. That's where students really start to do some cool peer teaching. They discuss the words. They start making associations with the words. They start helping each other. Um, with the strategies that they use to figure out, you know, which word went with which definition. So if you do that and you monitor during that pair check, that's where you start really seeing magic happen. And it's super cool. Um, It's also more time efficient, oddly enough. You wouldn't think it, but it actually tends to take less time to have students sort of go through all the words and definitions at once in the matching activity than it does for you to go through and try to just one by one explain and define every single word. Already just saying that now after talking about the matching activity, you can probably hear how much more boring that sounds, right? If you were a student, which thing would you rather be subjected to in a lesson? You would probably want to be more involved and have a chance to kind of think about the words and at least try to figure some of them out by yourself um, before you were just kind of spoon fed all of the definitions. Okay, good. So that's mistake number one. Mistake number two that I often see in vocabulary lessons This mistake involves going from word to meaning instead of meaning to word. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry because I'm about to tell you. Okay, so basically going from word to meaning sounds something like this. Okay, everybody, here's this new word. What does it mean? So what's wrong with this? Why is it a bad thing to ask students for the definition or to ask students to define a new word that we've projected on a slide or written on the board. Well, basically, this is an issue because, first of all, you're assuming that the students don't know that word, right, if you're teaching it, and it creates an instant disconnect in students' minds. If they have never seen that word before, if they don't know it, then the first feeling they have is, ugh, I, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Uh Uh-oh, this is hard. I'm bad at English. I don't know. I'm going to get it wrong. I have no idea, right? So immediately the student has this kind of stressed out, discouraged feeling. It's also really hard, even if the student does know the meaning of that word or they've heard it before, maybe they've even used it before, it's pretty difficult to come up with a really nice, clear, concise, effective definition for a word on the spot. Even as a very proficient English speaker, right, even as English teachers, we often have trouble coming up with really good definitions that really show the meaning of the word in a nice, concise way spontaneously. That's pretty hard. That's why we have dictionaries, right? I still use dictionaries as a reference when I'm creating vocabulary um, activities. So even if the student does know the word by asking them to produce this perfect definition without any warning, they might not be able to do that. And then what you'll think is the student doesn't really know the word when in fact they do, they just weren't able to come up with a really nice definition on the spot. Or they can come up with a definition, but it's kind of crappy. And then you end up having to clarify it anyway. And then it feels like the student did something wrong. 
even when they really didn't, <laughs> right? So you can see that it creates kind of this messy situation that is much better to avoid. So let's flip that around. Ah, and another problem I almost forgot to mention is the student may come up with a correct definition, but maybe it's a different meaning of the word than you were expecting. And then you have this awkward moment where you have to say, oh, yes, actually, that is correct, but that's not what I wanted from you. I actually wanted you to think of this meaning, which you didn't think of, and now I still have to define the word all over again. Um, So yeah, definitely want to avoid that situation. So let's flip that. What if instead of presenting the word first and asking, what does it mean? What if we present the meaning first and ask the student, what's that word in English? It almost then becomes like a game of uh, verbal charades, I guess, or like that game uh, activity. There are a lot of catchphrase, right? There are a lot of games out there that that um, are like this. So in that sense, if I give the students the definition first, what's a word in English that means blah, 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 and then give the definition? Or I show a picture and say, what's the word for this thing in English? Now I'm creating a connection in students' minds because their first reaction is, oh, I know what that thing is. I know what she's saying or he's saying or they're saying. I know exactly what that thing is, and I know the word I'm thinking of it in my own language or maybe another language that I know. So immediately there's this connection. Even if the student doesn't know the word in English yet, you can still tell them right after this. But what you've done first is created this connection, this feeling of knowing, of understanding, rather than the disconnect that we had before. Plus, you as the teacher have had time to prepare your lesson. You've had the time to come up with a very nice, concise way to present meaning, like a good definition or a picture or even realia, like showing the actual object if it's applicable. Um, So you've had the time to do that. It's much easier than for the student. It takes the pressure off. They don't have to come up with the whole definition. You're giving them the meaning. They just have to tell you the word. So this is more student-centered, it's more comfortable for the student, it's more efficient because you're giving them the context that you want, the exact meaning of the word that you want, so there's no danger of like what happened before, the student giving a correct definition, but it's a different meaning than what you were thinking. So it eliminates all of those issues, and it's much easier for the student to just give the word, right, if they know it. If not, no big deal. You can tell them the word after that because the student now already has the exact meaning in mind. They just need the English word that fits with that meaning. Uh, So this is a much, much better way to present new vocabulary, assuming that you're only presenting a few words and not doing some kind of student-centered matching activity, right? If we do the matching activity that I talked about before when we were talking about mistake one, that takes care of this whole thing. So obviously with a matching activity, you don't need to give the meaning and elicit the words one by one because that's all happening in the matching activity. The students are seeing the words and the definitions and they have a chance to put those together on their own. Okay, good. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, That is a much, much better way to deal with presenting the new vocabulary than asking the students what words mean. That should be a red flag to you in your teaching. Anytime you hear yourself saying, what does this word mean? Or does anyone know what this word means? Stop and don't do that anymore. Okay, good. Uh, Even when teachers do use a matching activity, 
Sometimes I see teachers making the mistake of then re-eliciting each definition for the words, which always ends up being a bit awkward. So for example, they'll give students the matching activity, students match the words to the definitions, they work alone, they check in pairs, go over the answers. And then the next step, the teacher will say, okay, word number one, here it is. What does that mean? And the students are like, uh, it means this definition that I have right here in front of me. And then they read out the definition. So that's not necessary. If you've given the students the matching activity, they now have the words and the definition. So you don't need to restate the definition. You don't need to re-elicit the definition. You don't need to show the definition again and re-elicit the word. All of that's taken care of. What you can do from there is just go right to your CCQs or concept checking questions if you haven't heard that abbreviation before, which are basically just short, concise uh, questions to check that the students understand the meaning of the word, right? So just double check for sure that they know them by asking those concept checking questions. Uh, And I should probably do an episode on those, a whole podcast episode on those at some point. Uh, And you're good to go on to covering form and pronunciation. So moral of the story, once you've done a student-centered task like a matching exercise, you do not need to re-give the definitions or re-elicit the words. All of that is taken care of. You can just move on to CCQs, form, and pronunciation. Good. Okay, so moving on, this brings us to mistake number three. Mistake number three is not starting with meaning first and instead starting with pronunciation or form. So this is an easy trap to fall into. And often this will happen. The teacher will present a new word and their first instinct is to say the word. And then immediately the next logical thing that follows is for the students to repeat the word. So what's wrong with this? Why is it not a good thing to have the students repeat the pronunciation of the word before you've gone over the meaning or before you've checked with a CCQ after, say, a matching task, that the students really do know what the word means. So this is a problem because it's really not fair to ask the students to say something out loud when they don't even know what they're saying. It's a bit awkward. It almost feels like a trick. Like, wait, why do you want me to say that? What am, what am I saying? The students need to know what they're saying before they're usually enthusiastic about actually saying it. And also pronunciation and even form, like the fact that the ver- that the word, excuse me, is a verb or an adjective or a noun, none of that means anything without meaning. Meaning is the whole point. So if I'm pronouncing a word, if I'm saying a word and I don't actually know what it means, that doesn't do anything for me, right? That means nothing to me. At that point, it's just a sound. It's a nonsense sound. Um, so we really want to make sure meaning is the most important thing. And we really want to make sure that that's always covered thoroughly. The students have the definition or they've seen a picture. However, we've chosen to convey the meaning and we've checked the meaning just to be really sure students truly understand with a CCQ concept checking question before we move on to covering the pronunciation and the form of those vocabulary words. Okay, mistake number four. This is another pretty common one and another easy trap to fall into. Mistake number four is teaching every possible meaning of the new words. So this is tempting because a lot of words in English have multiple meanings. 
right? Same word, same pronunciation, same spelling, things like homonyms, homophones with different meanings um, or even totally different ways that you can use a similar word uh, in different contexts. So it seems like the best thing to do then if you're teaching that particular word, a word, I'm just throwing out a really random example, but a word like meet, right? We have like nice to meet you. We also have um, meat like the food. So it seems like, well, if I'm teaching this word meat, like nice to meet you, shouldn't I also teach that there's a similar pronunciation, but a different spelling that has a different meaning, M-E-A-T, and what that means? It seems like this is going to be helpful for the students in case they encounter that other meaning, that alternate meaning or spelling later and get confused. But this is actually not a good thing. So this is a problem because it becomes really overwhelming for the students. That's a lot to remember. If I have a set of 10 vocabulary words and four or five of them also have other meanings in English in different contexts, I have now really increased the number of words that I'm attempting to teach in that same lesson. So that's a lot for students to take in. That first we're talking about this one context and these words have certain meanings and oh my gosh, wait, they all have all these other meanings as well and I also have to remember them and they're in totally different contexts that we haven't even talked about, contexts that haven't even been introduced yet in this lesson that I'm now trying to wrap my head around. So this becomes a lot and it ends up being more stressful than helpful. Remember, even though it is tempting to want to teach students all the things in a lesson, it is not possible and it is not ideal. We don't want to teach and we can't teach our students all the things at the same time. We really need to teach a lot about a little rather than a little about a lot. That's always the golden rule. We can get a lot of mileage out of one set of vocabulary words with just one meaning each. That is plenty to cover in a 60 or 90 minute lesson. There is a limit as human beings to how much we can take in, how much information we can take in, and how much we can remember, especially at one time. So by limiting the amount of information we're giving our students, and by covering that limited amount of information more thoroughly, instead of trying to cover a ton of information and just touch on it all a little bit, we're actually doing our students a big favor in increasing the amount of knowledge that they're actually going to be able to walk away with and feel good about and remember. So teach just one meaning, just the meaning of the word in that particular context. If there are other meanings of the words that you're teaching, you don't need to worry about them right now in that particular lesson. They're going to come up sometime later down the line, maybe in another lesson or even at another level, right? They don't have to come up in that same lesson. All right, mistake number five, the final mistake to talk about in this episode. Mistake number five when teaching vocabulary is not providing enough practice of the new vocabulary words and not coming back often enough to review those vocabulary words. So why don't teachers provide enough practice? Some of the reasons I've seen teachers not end up providing enough practice of the new vocabulary words in a particular lesson is that they simply run out of time. So this is why time management is really important. You don't want to spend too much time in a lead-in, in a vocabulary lesson, or even too much time in a diagnostic test stage. So those earlier stages of the lesson should be kept 
nice and efficient and short. You want to make sure that you have plenty of time at the end of your lesson for students to really practice and engage with those new words that they've learned in a fun and personalized way. Sometimes I've found it helpful to plan lessons backwards, right? So start with your freer practice activity, the final kind of fun interactive practice with the new words. Make sure you've allotted at least a good 10 or 15 minutes to that stage of the lesson. Controlled practice comes before that. That should be maybe 10 minutes, right? So right there, that's a good 25 minutes out of a 60 or 90 minute lesson that you want to think of as non-negotiable. So anything else you're doing in that lesson had better fit around and before that 25-minute block of practice that has to be there at the end. That could be a helpful way to think of it. So even if you have a brilliant, super creative idea for a lead-in, but it's like 15 minutes long, that's not going to work. You're going to need to think of something else to do or a way to make that more efficient so you can get that done in, say, five minutes and leave yourself that practice time at the end. Remember that you can always add an extra activity that you have planned onto the end of your lesson, like an extra for your practice exercise, but you can't get the time back once it runs out. And practicing the vocabulary in the next lesson is kind of a bummer. It's great for review, but if you've spent a full 60 or 90 minutes teaching all these new words, and then the students don't actually get time to practice those words and use them in a personalized way at the end of the lesson, that's no fun. <laughs> that, that really kind of sucks for the students that they don't get to actually try out all that stuff that you just taught them for all that time. Um, so if you're really, really struggling to get to your practice activities at the end, start working on your time management and think about how you can shorten the stuff that's happening beforehand so that you leave the students that good practice time at the end. Okay, so not only should the time be there for the practice, but the practice activities must practice the same words that were presented and clarified in that lesson. This may sound obvious, but it happens actually surprisingly a lot sometimes in lessons that I observe, where the teachers will teach this lovely set of 10 vocabulary words, right? They'll present them in a nice matching activity. They'll go through all the meaning, form, pronunciation, ask CCQs, elicit the part of speech, you know, model and drill pronunciation. And then the practice comes and they say, okay, here's 10 other adjectives to describe personality, different from the ones that we just studied. What? <laughs> Those are brand new words. We need to go through the whole song and dance of teaching them again before the students are going to be ready to practice. Um, so in case that wasn't obvious before, make sure whatever words are coming up in the practice activities are those same words that you spent the whole first half of the lesson teaching. Again, we're teaching a lot about a little, not a little about a lot. So I think that's the trap that some teachers fall into. They think, well, it was only a set of like eight words. That can't possibly be enough to plan a 60 or 90 minute lesson around. If you're doing it right, it is. That's plenty of words to plan a 60 or 90 minute lesson around. Um, okay, so not providing practice is a problem because our students need a lot of practice, a lot of repetition to remember new words. Think about a word that you heard. Maybe if you, if you have studied another language yourself, whether English or another language, um, think about the first time you typically hear a brand new word in, a, in another language. It's really easy to forget that word almost immediately. 
right? So maybe 10 seconds, 20 seconds after I hear a new word or learn a new word, I'm struggling to remember what it is. Maybe I'm getting older. (laughs) I don't know. But I think this is a very, very common experience. If it's a new word, it takes time to really digest it and really kind of internalize that word uh, so that it, it can be recalled quickly and easily. Um, So students need lots of practice. So just hearing that word presented at the beginning of the lesson is not enough. Students need the CCQ to reinforce the meaning. They need to have it modeled and drilled when you're teaching pronunciation. And then they need a chance to use it a couple of times themselves in the practice stages. Another benefit to having multiple practice stages is that students get get a better chance usually to personalize their understanding of the word. So typically, the more personal something is to us, the more likely we are to remember it, right? If we can create some kind of emotional connection or association with the word, we're more likely to remember it. So that freer practice, that final practice at the end where students are using the new vocabulary in a freer, if you will, more fluent way, that's when they're really making those personal emotional connections. They're using the word in a context, in situations that are really relevant to them and their lives and their ideas and their emotions, right? Their feelings. So they're going to be more likely to remember those words if they've used them in that personalized way. Um, And then finally with practice, that can be a really good chance to, when you're observing students, use the words more freely It's a really good opportunity for you as the teacher to identify and correct any sort of final kinks in the students using of the new words or their understanding of the new words. So I've definitely had instances where I think that the students are really, really clear on the meaning and use and form and pronunciation of a word that I've taught. And then I see them using it in practice and I say, oh, okay, that's actually not quite right. Now I know exactly what the students need a little bit of further clarification on. Uh, For example, maybe I'm teaching, this is actually a little bit more functional language than vocabulary, but maybe I've taught my advanced students the expression, my bad, as an apology, right? And I think they understand it. And then in a role play, I hear them uh, responding to something that was super, super serious, like, oh my gosh, I just... um, accidentally ran over your cat with my car. My bad. Whoops. Okay. That just shows me that the students don't really fully understand the level of formality or the context in which it's appropriate to use that expression, right? So even though they knew the meaning that it more or less meant, I'm sorry, that shows me that there's still a little bit of work to do on my part in helping them really, really understand when it's appropriate to use that particular expression. So same thing with vocabulary, right? There might be a word where you hear the students using it in practice and something's a little bit off with the meaning or the pronunciation or the form. If you haven't left time in your lesson for the students to have that freer practice where they have the freedom to make those types of mistakes and you have the opportunity to observe them, you don't get that chance to correct them during that same lesson. Um, So it's really, really good to leave that practice time so that those types of things can happen, so that you have an opportunity to kind of weed out any final mistakes and do some extra clarification or error correction as needed. All right, and then sort of a continuation of mistake number five, uh, the final thing we need to not make the mistake of doing 
is not giving the students enough time to review the vocabulary, excuse me, in subsequent lessons. This was definitely a mistake I made when I first started teaching. I would plan these beautiful vocabulary lessons, right, with my um, nicely contextualized student-centered presentation of the new language. I would do these lovely, efficient clarification stages. I would provide excellent control and freer practice. And then I would never talk about those words again. (laughs) And then I would be shocked when the students didn't remember all of those words two weeks or two months later. But that's normal. It is totally normal for our students to have a really successful vocabulary lesson and then not remember most of those words two weeks later or even in the very next lesson. Um, That is just what happens with memory. So what we need is to recycle some of that vocabulary, keep reminding students of those words, keep giving them opportunities to review in the next lesson and the next lesson and the next. It doesn't necessarily have to be every single lesson because, of course, we have other things that we need to teach and and help the students focus on as well, like grammar, like developing the the skills, right? We're going to have other lesson types that we teach. Um, But every now and then, if you need, you know, an easy flex task, like you need a task where you have an extra 10 minutes in your lesson, pull out some of those vocabulary words um, and come up with some activities that the students can use to review them. Um, My students love this when I do uh, vocabulary review activities with them because it helps them recall the words and really feel like they're learning them and making progress. Uh, Remember, too, that in order to truly review, there needs to be some space in between the review sessions or the learning sessions to forget. What studies have shown is that if we already have, like, if, if the word is already at the front of our minds, Continuing to review it every 10 seconds really doesn't do anything additional. It's already there in my mind. But reviewing it once an hour when I've walked away and had time to forget or reviewing it once or twice a day, right, when I've had time for it to sort of slide into the back of my mind and it's not so immediate, that's what's really helpful for moving that knowledge into my long-term memory. Uh, So think about ways that you can continue to review and recycle vocabulary in your lessons also. All right, hopefully that was helpful just to sum up our top five mistakes, uh, common mistakes that I see in vocabulary lessons that you want to avoid are these. So just a quick summary, Uh, mistake number one was not presenting the words in a contextualized student-centered way. Mistake number two was going from word to meaning when actually you want to go from meaning to word, right? So don't ask students, what does this word mean? Instead, give them the meaning and see if they know the word in English or better yet, create a student-centered matching task that takes care of mistake one and two. Mistake number three was not starting with meaning first. So remember, don't ask students to pronounce a word or don't ask students what type of word it is, what part of speech it is before they're really clear on the meaning. Mistake number four was teaching every possible meaning of the word or the set of vocabulary words in your lesson. Remember, as always, to teach a lot about a little, not a little about a lot. And finally, mistake number five was not providing enough practice of the new words and review. 
So make sure you structure and time your lessons so that you can provide that controlled and freer practice at the end of the individual lessons. And also make sure you build some time into subsequent lessons for the occasional review of vocabulary words that students learned before. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and I'll be back next week with another episode. Bye for now. Thanks again for joining me. Feel free to leave a comment on this episode or reach out to me directly at info at and let me know what you want to hear in upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and take a few seconds to leave a quick review. It helps so much in getting the word out there. And of course, if you know other teachers or travelers, I'd love for you to share this with them too. Stay tuned for the next episode, and until then, head to tefelhorizons.com for more resources and teaching tips. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons. Bye.